Hey, welcome to Gen Church Online. I'm glad that you are joining us today. My name is Kyle, and I'm the lead pastor of Generations Church. Today, John and I are going to do something a little uh, different than we have done the past couple weeks. Just but I am, I'm, real, I'm really yeah. excited about it. it it's going to be a little different. Uh, but here's the goal. We want people to trust and follow Jesus. And to do that well, we have to be able to read the Bible and get to know the Jesus from the Bible. We have to learn the Bible, know what it says, and so we can begin to follow Jesus and learn what it looks like to embody him and his character and priorities in every aspect of our life. Because Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us, shapes our worldview. So reading the Bible isn't supposed to just be about information. It's supposed to be be about transformation. And so there's a barrier sometimes for people really experiencing the changed life that they desire. Many people have a tough time with reading the Bible, understanding it, and then applying it to their life. And this may be you. And so I want you to hang on with us today because what we are going to do is we are going to work through a Bible passage together and we are going to do it in such a way that we hope we can teach you in some way, show you what it looks like to work through a passage of Scripture, begin to read it, understand it, and then apply it to your life. So as we work through this passage today, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 2. So we're going to pick up back with our series, Substance, Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to work through this today. And so if you're joining us for the first time in this Substance series, don't worry, like a TV show, we're going to give you a previously on. Yeah, so as Kyle's been saying, like if maybe this is your first time checking us out, or maybe you've missed a couple weeks, or it's been two weeks since we've been in our Substance series, and that's okay. If you need to, like during the week, go back and listen to our past teachings. Check out our midweek podcast. You can find them on our website, on social media, for you to kind of go back and get a refresher. But where we are really here is that we're reading through the book of Colossians. We're in chapter two now. Uh, In the fall, we were doing uh, chapter one, our known series. We're in chapter two right now. What we see is that we see Paul who's writing to this church in Ephesus that he's never been to. Uh, he didn't start this church. And Colossians. And Colossae. In not Colossae. F- did did you say, say all right, man, it's, it's that type of morning. Oh we're we're getting it. It's because it's it's, you it's, meant to say Epaphras. It, that, that's his that's buddy. That's what threw me off. Yeah, see? Yeah. yeah, because what you get here is that the reason why <laughs> Paul's writing to them is because his buddy Epaphras, who's yes. his disciple, who yes. he's led to Jesus, actually writes to him. He kind of explains what's going on to Paul. And so Paul... In writing this letter, what we see at the beginning of Colossians is he's very much like praising them, like encouraging them, saying, you guys are doing awesome work. I love seeing what you guys are doing, how Jesus is shaping your everyday life and how you're going out into your community. And then Paul begins to take this shift that Mm -hmm. we see where he begins to address some of the issues that's going on there. The reason why he's writing this letter, why his buddy Epaphras wrote out to him really what's going on, that there's this false teaching going around. Mm -hmm. And it's really structured around this concept of the Jesus plus lifestyle. That what we see is there's these uh, additional practices, additional rules that are being added uh, to their everyday life that aren't dependent upon Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Basically what they're doing is, uh, so often what we do is, um, what Jesus calls us to is to put him on the pinnacle, put him on the mountain, say, he is the one that is my source for how I live everything. And what they're doing is they're dragging him down to a plateau. And they're saying there's these other good things, good things in the world 
that add value, that add substance to what's going on. And they're trying to uh, basically get to this core where uh, get these believers to believe basically that true spiritual fulfillment mm -hmm. isn't found in Christ alone. And what we see here in chapter two of what Paul's really doing here is he's developing this powerful, positive uh, theological argument against these false teachers by basically rehearsing the completeness of the spiritual victory that we share in Christ. In essence, what we're going to get to today in verse 17, the basically the culmination of this series mm -hmm. substance is that Christ is substantive, that the Messiah is the substance. And Paul's writing this to a group of people who are being mm -hmm. pressured to believe and live out that Christ isn't enough. So what I want to do is, as John has set this up beautifully for us, is I'm going to read Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 19, and then I'm going to make some observations. And we'll then deduce some meaning together and then see how it applies to our life. And so as we go through this together, make some observations of the Bible passage along with us. Do this alongside of us as we seek to move to meaning. Be prepared for that. And then as we seek to apply God's word to our life, be prepared. We're going to ask you for, to come up with an I will statement at the end so that you can apply these verses to your life this week and today. And so verse 16 says this, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what is to come. The substance is the Messiah. Let no one disqualify you for insisting on aesthetic practices and the worshiping of angels, claiming access to visionary realm and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons developed with the growth from God. Man, got a little tongue-tied there at the end. <laughs> but that's okay, because we're going to go back and look at this passage right now. So as I look here in verse 16, the first word that I, that I notice is therefore. That's what word stands out to me. And I was taught whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you ask, what is it there for? And so what Paul has just done in saying therefore is he's building on the last couple verses that John set up for us. And let me just read one verse prior or two verses prior. It says he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. And that's what we talked about really the last two weeks at Easter. We talked these verses before Easter, but that's what is so powerful about Easter. So therefore, based on Jesus' victory, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or the matter of festival or new moon or Sabbath day. So... We're not going to, we're going to resist these false teachers. We're not going to let them judge us by these new moon festivals or Sabbath or things like that. And what you see here is Paul is really pointing out some habits or some rituals or some customs that revolved around Jewish life. And so just make a note of that of saying, okay, these people are insisting upon Jewish customs and so whether or not you, you realize that or not, it's good to see that from the Sabbath day, the new moon. You can find those in the Old Testament where you, you can go back and you can read about some of just the Jewish life 
And that's was, that was a major part for them. And then he says the word, don't let anyone judge you. Now, judge is a loaded term. But Paul and Timothy, what they mean is that when someone judges you in, in reference to Old Testament Jewish life is that you would size someone up and you would write them off. You would exclude them from God's salvation. So to be more specific, these believers should not render final judgment on someone based on certain religious practices. In effect, they shouldn't play the part of God. And so that's what Paul says, don't let anyone judge you. So those people, they should not write you off based on whether or not you do these things. And then Paul contrasts here in our, our climatic verse of verse 17. He contrasts the word shadow with substance. He says, these are the shadow of what is to come. So that's what he's describing these Old Testament rituals, these aspects of life. But he says the substance is the Messiah. So we see the culmination is this historical figure who is going to come and rescue and renew every single aspect of life. And it's wrong for anyone to pass judgment on someone else over the matter that's mentioned in verse 16 because these matters are only the shadow of the reality now found in Christ. Now hang with us for a second because I, I'm really tempted to just jump in and be like, okay, so what's the reality found in Christ? Don't worry, John's going to take that and answer that question for you. But let's keep making some good observations uh, in the text. In verse 18, Paul reiterates this idea of not passing judgment. He says, don't let anyone disqualify you by insisting on aesthetic practices. What that is, is basically like if you were tempted to sin or if Basically, you're disciplining yourself. So say you feel compelled to like steal something and so you would slap your hand really hard or like you would you'd feel yourself coveting something or go back and kind of look at the Ten Commandments. And if you were if you were prone to break one of those or you felt an inner impulse to do that, you would basically do some sort of physical harm to your body that taught you that put this message in your mind that is wrong. And Paul says, no, don't insist on those and don't insist upon the worship of angels because there was a level of like, well, we need something to protect us and we know we've encountered angels before, so maybe they will protect us. And so what Paul is saying here is he's, he's calling out and he's saying, these aren't a higher level of spirituality. And it, Paul actually, he says, if you look down, he says, they're these people who do this have an unspiritual mind. So people who say you've got to do all these things to achieve a level of spirituality are actually unspiritual in of themselves. And so that may seem like an odd thing to say, but here, here's how I'm relating this to just things I see in culture right now. Some of you have watched the Netflix show Tiger King. And so as I read this passage... The person that I have in my mind is Carol Baskin. So if you haven't watched Tiger King on Netflix, uh, you, I, I ha I'm hesitant to say go, go watch that show. But if you have, you know exactly what I'm saying. She is someone who is claiming this level of like superiority of running Big Cat Rescue. But then how she was portrayed, at least in the Netflix documentary, is like she keeps her tigers and the cats that she rescues in smaller cages 
than the other people that she's trying to rescue them from. And so it's this, this Paul flips it on its head and says like, hey, the people that are claiming a higher level of spirituality actually, and in fact, aren't. And so again, I picture Carol Baskin in my mind. Sorry, Carol, if you somehow watch this, but <laughs> that how you're portrayed in the Netflix series, that, that, that's, what, that's what I relate Paul calling out this person for. And Paul gets really serious by saying this person actually isn't connected to Christ, who is the head of the church, and that's that metaphorical picture that we see right here in the text. That's why he says, hold on to the head there. And in fact, Paul doesn't just use the general body. He says that there's ligaments and tendons that show the interconnectedness that we are actually supposed to have from each other, the body, the church, in our connection to Jesus. And so it's not just information disseminated from an elite teacher, which is why John and I are even doing some of this today is because we want to help you know that you can read and understand the Bible for yourself. Understanding the Bible doesn't come from some sage on the stage of giving you what to think. We want to try to work through this together so that we can uh, apply God's word to our life every day and experience the transformation that I think so many of us Mm -hmm. desire. And so just to summarize all that I've said so far, Paul is asserting four things about the false teachers. They put a great deal of stock in aesthetic practices, perhaps to induce visions. They're concerned with calling on angels as a means of protecting from evil forces, so they are virtually worshiping them. They focus on visions they have experienced, perhaps citing the content of those visions in their teaching. And they display perhaps... uh, because of their boasting about visions and arrogance that reveals a worldly orientation. And so we can find a great parallel between Paul points out about the pressure that the Colossians face, believers, to our lives today. Because sometimes we think about belief as a series of dials where we're constantly tweaking and turning to find kind of the right solution to life. And what Paul is saying, we all, in effect need to turn off those other dials and dial it full up to Yeah, and just in you talking through this, man, I really think where Paul's getting in this is that he doesn't want to see us uh, become consumed by the cultural practices of the day. Rather, he wants to see us to embody the substance that is Christ, and he encourages the Colossian church to not fall for this deceptive philosophy that basically consists around uh, these additional practices of uh, circumcision, observing certain festivals, the holidays, and just these ascetic practices that were being encouraged and kind of pushed upon the believers there. And this is because the Colossians, like many of us, have died and been raised with Christ that we're uh, constituated as the new Israel or the new humanity who's remade and reoriented into mm. the image of God in which we were made, and that these practices are rendered uh, ineffective. And thus effectively, um, mm. like they're, because they are only just a highlight of our internal desires, yeah. uh, they ultimately don't satisfy uh, our need, our greater fulfillment in which we need. And further, like, to return to observing just the practices or uh, following the cultural norms or the practices and the things that are encouraged would be to basically abandon what God has done in Jesus. Mm. And you see these practices, uh, they're never meant uh, for mankind to serve them. Rather, they were meant 
to serve mankind. And we're going to uh, dive a little bit deeper um, into this concept this week in our online community groups uh, through our group guides. We're going to actually go to Mark 2, 23, 28. So uh, after service, yeah. we're going to kind of yeah. encourage you about those to join us online as we uh, dive deeper in the middle of the week. Uh, but I just kind of want to set that up because we're going to dive into one of these uh, practices of the Sabbath. Mm. But what we see here uh, in what Paul We're doing that Wednesday though, right? Wednesday night. Yeah, Wednesday night, Wednesday okay. night at 7. Okay. Yes, Wednesday night at 7. We'll talk about it afterwards. Yes. Um, and so... I mean, like we've been talking about, these religious practices, they don't save us. You know, they don't provide the growth and recon, uh, reconciliation that we need. That can only be found through God. As Paul says in the final verse of 19, that it is because of God that we can grow and be made new. We can't do it for ourselves. We can't force it upon others. We can't mm. play the role of God, nor should we. And God is the only one who has the say when it comes to uh, judgment, when it comes to salvation. It is God's role. And as part of the body, we want to, um, we just want to be extensions and encourage those who are as well a part of the body to be healthy and to flourish. We don't want to uh, present anything that um, hinders them, that pushes them back, that keeps them from growing. Because as the church, we are the collective body and Jesus is the head. And he connects us as what we see in here, the uh, ligaments, the tendons, we are interconnected. It's because of him that we're able to grow. And we can only do that through deeper connections with Christ and not customs. We mm. need to have the mindset of Christ over customs. Hey, you like that? Yeah, see, I, I, know, I was going to say, values. hey, it, it kind of lines up with our values. I know, right? I, it's like good. we did that on purpose. Christ over customs. Yeah. That has a nice ring to it. Yeah. And so, like, Paul, basically what he's trying to do here is he's trying to eliminate uh, he's not eliminating the cultural practices and customs and norms. Rather, what he's saying is that Christ is more substantive than them all. They all need to be seen in light and oriented and mm -hmm. shaped by who Jesus is. And it's easy. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's very easy to get caught up in the cultural norm and practices of the day. Um, to allow our understanding of the church, who Jesus is, and who we are to be as believers, as everyday followers, to be shaped yeah. by the world around us. Uh, we all have different uh, preconceived <laughs> notions. We come with different norms, traditions. We all have different backgrounds. And that's why we talk about story over sin. We all come from different places, have different ways in which um, mm -hmm. baggage that we come with but rather what we need to see is that we need to ask, is our vision and our lenses, are they built around the early church, who Jesus called us to be, or are they built around some cultural norms, some custom in which has been built around our everyday, like what we're used to, mm -hmm. basically. And there's this author uh, that I've been reading uh, one of his books recently, and his name's Dan White Jr. And what he does is he frames up this concept of basically mm -hmm. um, pinning against this concept of the, uh, how did he call it? He called it the church as the industrial complex rather uh, against the mm. church as movement. And basically what he's saying is that so often we can allow our understanding of church, of who we are to be as believers, to be framed by our American culture. That is so easy. And sometimes we don't even notice it. Mm. And that's the toughest part is that we can take things that seem to bring our nation success. What we see as a good in the world of uh, politics and government and leaders, that we often apply that to the church and how we do things of things like growing bigger, uh, collecting more resources, uh, consolidating power, creating this strong hierarchy, and just growing rapidly. And often uh, we can view the church success based upon metrics, which mm. we can physically count, tangibly see, but often we need a new lens. Mm. We need a different vision for how we see the church as movement. And I want to frame it up and give it to you in an illustration like this. I remember this week, me and Hannah, uh, we were going to the store. And because she is the um, 
healthy, just um, smart one of us. She has masks for us. Way to give credit where credit's I know, right? I instead in a very positive <laughs> and loving way, uh, where I, I do appreciate that about her because it is a way to be sensitive to what's going on, uh, not just for herself, but for those around us. And she has masks for us. And now I've never had to wear a mask like okay. that before. Okay. So I go into the store. And me being the bonehead that I am, I'm wearing my glasses like I am now, not really knowing. I put the mask on. I, As far as I know, I was doing it right because, like, Hannah, don't worry. She's had the training from her mom who's in public health. I like to think she knows what she's doing. So I put that on, and I'm breathing. And in the midst of it, my glasses start fogging, like, constantly. It feels like my face is in a sauna that's going on right now. I don't know if any other guys can relate to this, but, like, my beard's, like, it's, like, awkwardly, like, right here. My glasses are just fogging. I'm like, man, like, I'm being impaired. I can't see anything that's going on around me. Everything's foggy. So I say, you know what? Maybe I could take my glasses off. That didn't go well either. Let's just say start getting lightheaded. I can make out shapes and object of what's around us. Like I could see in the condiments aisle, I could see that's ketchup. I can't tell if that's the good Heinz kind or if that's the cheap off brand that does not hey, taste sh very good. Shots fired, man. I, man. I can tell where you're going on. Oh, that's it, shots and, fired. It, it was tough, man. Like I, I was reaching for it. I'm like, I don't know if this is right. So like I had to throw my glasses back on and everything. But in the midst of this, like, I feel like a lot of us can relate that sometimes it can be really fuzzy and it messes with us that if we don't have the right vision, we don't have the right lens for what's going on, that we aren't seeing the picture clear. We aren't seeing it in the proper lens in which we should. We can't see the full image. We only get a shadow. We only get this fuzzy image, uh, this partial view. And so often we have to be willing to allow our everyday life to be interrupted by Christ. Mm. And that's not uh, normal. That's not easy necessarily to allow him to interrupt the norm just our normal everyday process our schedule the way we interact with others and right now a vast majority of people um we're just looking for something uh, we're looking to our national leaders our uh, maybe it's our mayor our governors uh the leaders um, in dc for just some sort of hope maybe some financial assistance uh, power a change that lasts a lifetime and when we begin to see Jesus clearly, we're reminded that uh, we're going to share in God's new world and his story in which he reorients when he comes into our life. And that us as believers, no matter what comes from our nation, we have hope in who Jesus is and the way in which he's going to shape our world and the way he's going to work down the road. And we want to be uh, cautioned against this utopian vision of ushering in a way of life that closely yeah. links the way of Jesus with any single political uh, affiliation group, theological thought, philosophy, or anything like that. An author put it like this, that when politics become a religion, uh, becomes a religion, then simple disagreements become apostasies, heresies. And you know what we do with heresies. I, I just like how they uh, said it, how they framed it up. And uh, you don't have to be, be a believer necessarily to get caught up in the trap that our government must grant us what our heart's desire is or what's best for us, mm. uh, what fits, what gives us comfort, what meets our everyday uh, desires mm. and needs and wants. But we can't lose um, vision for the church, and we can't allow ourselves to become clouded by these cultural yeah. customs of the day. And we see that that's what's yeah. going on here in Colossians. So you have these false teachers, these other people that are coming in, trying to put these practices, these cultural norms and traditions onto what they're doing. And the difficult part is sometimes these customs, yeah. they'll act as shadows of the real thing, 
and they seem kind of good and kind of similar, and they kind of line up with what Jesus calls us to, but they're only a partial, uh, just a partial thought or an idea or a concept of the truer image. It's not a clear picture. It's this fuzzy reality, uh, and we only get a glimpse of the fuller image to come. And so we have to uh, shift from the shadow to the substance. Mm. You know, and there's hope found in this. When we read Colossians, there is hope found in here because what we spent so long with Colossians 1 was that Jesus has made himself known. That Mm. because Jesus has come to us, he has made himself known to us that we can see the full image when we pursue Mm. him. When we allow Jesus to interrupt our everyday life, we can allow him to shape our life and not just customs or norms or traditions Mm. in which we're usually built around. Mm. You know, um, we're able to... Uh, know the substance, and we're able to see this full image of God of who he wants us to be, and this is good news because we don't have to feel this guilt or shame uh, for the way in which we used to live or what we're currently working on in our life right now. We have this new life found in Jesus, and therefore, we can extend this forgiveness. We can extend this grace and love and extend that to others in our community, our neighbors, those we encounter on a day-to-day basis, and we can do that with a great courage and flexibility. And this is what it looks like when we allow Christ to shape and reorient our vision and our perspective for how we see things in our everyday life. And that's so true for today and for our time. Our life as we know it has been interrupted. There's been a clamor and saying, hey, let's go back to the normal or to what was. And I I don't see that happening. I don't see us going backwards. But I, this idea that also we will move forward into some, some utopia and, and it, it'll be a new and brighter and better tomorrow, I, I don't necessarily believe that, that, that vision of progress either. But what I think, John, is what I'm hearing you say is in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, in whatever situation we find ourselves, to put Christ over customs and whatever cultural moment we find ourselves in, we must shift from the shadow to the substance. Yeah. To put Christ over customs, we must shift from the shadow to the substance, which means that the good things that are in existence in our world, we've got to say, okay, where is the truth? And find the, the truer, the more right mm. in Jesus. Yeah, we don't just settle for what sounds good. Yeah. Oh, that's that, that, that. That's a good way to put <laughs> yeah. that. We don't. Yeah. We don't. We don't settle for what sounds good. We settle for what actually is good and good for us. Yeah. And that is Jesus. He He yeah. is the substance. And that's what. If we go back to frame up the text again, this is where context and observations are mm. so helpful. Is because the the cultural practices of Jewish life weren't bad things, but they were things that were ultimately supposed to point us to our need for Jesus and a savior and a rescuer because they in of themselves could not rescue. The rituals could not provide the rescue that their hearts desired. And today we are so tempted to exist and to to do cultural rituals to achieve the rescue that we desire. And so let's kind of parse that out and and make it real practical for some of these rituals and some of these things that we find ourselves in in our everyday lives. So Paul's writing to the church who's being influenced to draw these boundary lines 
customs don't become those criteria. So here, here's, how, here's how I'm internalizing processes yeah. and relating it to my life. I grew up in a household where we played a lot of games. And one of the things that quickly developed as we would play games in my household is something that maybe you had in your household called something called house rules. House rules. Do you have any house rules that when you played any games in your house? Like if you played any certain games, like whether tag or like even like we play certain card games where it's like everyone else can play them a certain way, but there are certain house rules uh, that, that we had. And so whether it was like card games or even a game like Monopoly, like we had a special way to play it in our household. And the, the reason these house rules developed is because I'll say it was because of me. <laughs> and, and I like to find the loopholes in the rules and figure out how I could get an edge. You like or, to cheat? Yeah. Hey, no, hey, hey, it's, it's working within the boundary rules yeah. to gain a competitive advantage. Yes, I was that competitive. <laughs> Where the rules don't yeah, speak, yeah, you yeah. implement yes. your own. And, 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 well, I should say, okay, it's not just me. Uh, sorry, Dad, throwing you under the bus. We, we all know it's, <laughs> it, 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 was you, it was you too. So any extended family watching this, Yes, we, we, house rules were in place because either Ken or Kyle were playing whatever game we would play. And so the, as we would develop these house rules, as we would look to play the games, the one thing, there's one thing that never changed. It's how the game was won. There was always a set score you had to get to, the set amount of points. It was whatever rules were changed or manipulated or tried, is, is the one thing never changes, how you won the game. And what these false teachers were doing is they weren't simply playing by house rules. They were making playing by house rules the object of the game. And Paul points the believers of Colossae to how Christ is the substance over customs of house rules. So let me say that again. Is, in effect, is the object of the game is to follow Jesus and to follow him well. The object of the game isn't to play by house rules. It isn't to play by the customs of our culture. We must understand the difference in our everyday lives because it's easy to play by the customs because we know where the boundary lines are. We know where, where, when we're out of bounds, when we're in bounds, when we begin to play by house rules, it's tangible. And sometimes following Jesus isn't quite as tangible as we would like. But Christ is the most substantive object to the game of life. And so because there are two groups of people Paul is dealing with, both those who are legislating out some house rules and those who are being pressured by house rules, our application falls within two categories that I think derive from that same mean, meaning. So first, for those who fall into the trap or the temptation of requiring house rules, of requiring customs as Christ-like markers, Here's what this might look like in everyday life. That you might be someone who is insisting that the political party you vote for determines whether or not you're a real Christian. Or two, maybe that meeting in a building on Sunday makes a church. Or three, what about being kind or tolerant is the same as actively following Jesus? Sounds very good, but it's not the same thing. Or four, maybe you confuse the circumstance of someone's life with the consequence of work ethic. That someone is in the situation they are in because they didn't work hard enough. And we see people through these lens and we, we in effect play the seat in the role of God by sizing them up and writing them off 
And if you're in this camp and you find yourself belittling or thinking less of others, here's the good news, is that you can repent and admit that you size people up and write them off. That Christ's grace is substantive enough for even you. And he can turn your critique of others into compassion for them. Because Christ has compassion. He does not critique us where we are, but he extends compassion. And out of that compassion that he extends to us, we are then changed and motivated to love and serve others. So second, for those of you who are trying to follow Jesus better, and you're feeling pressured into playing by some house rules in both explicit and implicit ways, and you feel the pressure to acquiesce to the cultural principles that show us the shadow instead of the substance, we've got to recognize that we will face the pull towards the shadow because it's something that we can manipulate. It's something we can touch. It's, as we think of shadows, think you can make a shadow do a lot of things. You can make a pair of hands look like a dog or a dragon. So we are tempted to be pulled towards the shadow because we have a level of control over it. But here's what we have to remember, is that everyone is going to be evaluated not on the keeping of customs, but on their relationship with Christ. Paul is making clear that one of the one's customs don't necessarily mark their relationship with Christ. And there may be correlation, but correlation does not equal causation. And stay tuned these next couple weeks, because as we get into Colossians chapter 3, we're going to talk about some of the outflow, some of the, the results of being connected to Jesus. Because Paul is very clear on what a relationship with Christ produces. But as we see in this passage, and as we begin to apply it to our life, how we shift from the shadow to the substance is by evaluating our own customs and our culture. You want to take a poll on what you're following or what you're being consumed on? What are the last five posts that you've posted on Facebook? What have they been about? What is their content? Are they memes? Are they jokes about a certain group? you'll be able to determine what you are being shaped by and how you are thinking about others. Maybe you need to, we also have to catch ourselves belittling or thinking less than others so that we can extend grace and forgiveness. A way to figure out if you're extending, someone who's extending grace or forgiveness or if you're belittling others is who are you complaining about most right now? Who you are complaining about is who are you are not extending grace to in this moment. I think three, how do we shift from the shadow to the substance in our everyday life? As we have to celebrate Christ-like selflessness. We have to celebrate Christ-like selflessness. So anytime we see someone being selfless, we have to point and say, that is like Christ and celebrate them. And fourth, we have to connect the shadow of the fullness of Christ by becoming more fluent in the customs of Christ. We must be rooted in our union with Christ in order to cope with the pressures from a culture that wants you to identify with the shadows of our cultural customs of our day. So we shift from the shadow to the substance when we put Christ over customs. 
by evaluating, by catching ourselves, by celebrating Christ-like selflessness and connecting who Jesus is and what he has done for us with our why of our patterns, of our everyday life. And here's what I would have to say, is no, you aren't alone in this. If you feel like this is daunting, we have created spaces so that we can do this together. We are a community of people committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. And so will you apply this passage this week? I told you it was coming. I will dot, 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 fill in the blank. What will you do in your life this week? Will you catch yourself when you start to belittle others? Will you evaluate some of your own customs? Will you begin to celebrate Christ-like selflessness? How will you do that in your life this week? Fill in the blank and feel free to share that in the comments below. We would love to hear that. Together, we are a community of everyday people who are committed to expanding God's family together because of Jesus for generations to come. And that name of Jesus will go out for generations to come when the everyday people live out their faith where they live, work, and play. Let's pray together. Father, you are good, and you are the substance, you are the, the, the object that we want to orient our lives around. Thank you for your love and for your grace and for Jesus, that he enables us to have a relationship with you and to know what the fullness of life is really all about. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.